0: Please uh, turn in your scriptures to Amos chapter seven. We will read beginning at the first verse. Thus the Lord God showed me. Behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. And so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said, "O oh, Lord God, forgive, I pray. O oh, that Jacob may stand for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Thus, the Lord God showed me, behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire. And it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. Then I said, O Lord God, cease, I pray. O that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. Thus he showed me. Behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. The entirety of God's word is truth and every one of his righteous judgments endures forever. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at this word, as we continue to worship, that you might speak to us. That we might hear your voice this morning. May you open our eyes and, and open the understanding of our hearts. May you teach us, may you sanctify us by your word. And I ask that you would sanctify Also, my sinful lips, that they may proclaim the gospel of the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. We saw last week how Israel had scorned the Lord. They refused to acknowledge him and to give him the honor That was due to his name. They scorned the privilege of praising him, of remembering his works. They presumed on his covenant promises. They ate his food and denied that it was his food that he had provided it. They enjoyed victory and a measure of safety and security in their cities, yet denied that it was the Lord that had given that to them. And and uh, and then come these visions in this chapter, and what is God's response to these people who had scorned him, scorned his blessings of them, scorned the privilege of remembering his works and praising him? What is his response, brothers and sisters? The response of the Lord to these incorrigible people. It's mercy. It's mercy. There's a pattern. Here, God chastens His wayward people. We see that in these first two visions that Amos has. He forms the locusts as the instruments of His wrath against Israel. He formed, he formed the locusts. They, they were his creatures that he had created. And the, they were creatures that existed to, to declare his glory and his wisdom. But now they are given an additional purpose. And so it says that he forms these locust swarms. They are given this additional purpose of being the instruments of his wrath, of his chastening. And the locusts, swarms eat the second crop after the king's mowings. So it's not when it says the king's crop, it's not likely that the king took all of the first crop. But presumably his taxes came from that first crop, but it's the first crop that is that's usually the best. It's the first, you know, the ears of corn that are the best. It's the first cutting of hay that season, that year. That's usually the best. And then you may get some second cuttings, but they're usually not quite as, as prolific, not quite as good. You know, We had a watermelon plant one year. We got three crops off it. You know, the first crop was amazing, uh, 30 to 40 pounders. The second sort of crop was smaller. They were only 20 to 30. And then there was a third crop, and they were kind of small. So the first crop is the most important crop. It's the one that you would need after the winter. But there's a mercy here. God didn't take that crop. It the locusts didn't eat that crop. It was the late crop that God formed this swarm of locusts. The beginning of the late crop. So here's a mercy of God to these people. Did they n- see it as a mercy? That God had given them this first crop? Did they see that this was God's chastening, but He was chastening them in mercy? Well, we we know from the earlier passages that they didn't see that. They were insensitive to that chastening. You know, the, the remembrance of God's prior mercies to us ought to make us more willing to submit to his will in our lives. In the second vision, Amos sees fire destroying the land or or uh, conflict by fire. could be that God was bringing armies in. Some people think even the locusts were representing armies. I, I don't think so. I think locusts are a very real plague uh, we have even had these kind of locust swarms in, in this country. and uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder speaks about them in her books. They were they're part of our historical record as well. a crop of grasshoppers come and just eat everything in sight. I believe these were, the, these were a, that Amos saw these visions of what God was intending to do. Visions of what God justly was intending to do. And he sees here conflict by fire. Israelites had seen their land uh, ravaged. And they'd seen, uh, under Jeroboam, they'd seen a current king, a measure of success. They'd seen a measure of relief and reprieve. And they thought it was by their own power that this had come. So God shows Amos then these visions of what he intends to do. Again. And what is Amos' first response? I think this is beautiful. Amos' first response on seeing These judgments that God shows him in a vision of what he intends to do. Amos first response is to intercede for the people of God. That says a lot about the character of Amos. Amos possessed a sincere love. For the people to whom he ministers. Amos intercedes for the people to whom he is ministering. It wasn't just a job that he was paid to do. He wasn't just a prophet for hire who'd been sent to a country to bring a message. He is personally invested in these people. He he loves them. He's willing to sacrifice for them, to fast for them, to pray for them. He gave up his his income-producing work to come to this foreign country because there were two separate countries. They were sister countries, but still different. They had different kings different rules and different laws. He comes to this foreign country to preach to a wicked and corrupt people. But he had a a sincere love for them. And so as soon as he sees his vision of God's judgment coming upon them, his first reaction is to intercede for them. And this is the kind of love that we see in all of God's shepherds, faithful shepherds. We saw that in Moses. It's kind of love that Moses had for the Israelites. Remember, he, uh, out of a sense of seeking to deliver the Israelites, he he had killed that Egyptian who was oppressing the Israelites. They didn't understand it. He ended up fleeing, but God brought him back 40 years later to to deliver them. And when God was angry with them in the in at Mount Sinai for for their idolatry, for so quickly turning away from the Lord and worshiping this golden calf. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. Now, what would you think if the Lord told you something like that? Well, Moses did not stay silent and think, well, that's, Too bad for those Israelites, but they really, you know, deserved what they had coming. Moses was angry with them, but he didn't say that. Though it would have been true, they did deserve what they had coming. But Moses loved these people. He cared for them, and he immediately falls on his face before the Lord, and he intercedes for them at the throne of grace. And Moses pleaded with God. So why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. And. He pleads, he intercedes. Job. Does something very similar. You know, his, he had three friends that treated him in, in reality quite poorly. Uh, on top of the loss of his family and the loss of all his servants and the loss of all of his wealth and the loss of even of his health these friends accused Job relentlessly. They told him these calamities must be the result of some great sin that he had committed. And they kept pressing him to get him to confess to some sin that they just knew he had committed. And, and when God's anger was aroused against these these counselors because they had not spoken what was right about God, as Job done, Job prayed for his friends. He interceded for them. He prayed for God to heal them. Job being being probably the king of Edom. Samuel also was rejected by the Israelites. He felt rejected when they wanted a king. God told him, no, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Nevertheless, I think Samuel did feel somewhat slighted by them. He said, he said, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Whose hand or from whose hand have I received a bribe? And I will restore it to you. But see, then he, he was feeling um, rejected. But then he goes on to say, moreover, far be it from me that I should sin against God by ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Amos was a true man of God, a true prophet, not a hireling. And when, God, when he saw these visions of God's just and righteous judgment about to fall on Israel, he immediately begins to intercede at the throne of grace. We see that Amos then was a man of prayer with a close fellowship with the Lord. As soon as he sees this anguish, he jumps to prayer. That's indicative of a habit of prayer. If, If we're not in the habit of prayer, we're not going to think to pray in these times of urgency. It won't be the first thing that comes to our mind. The fact that he immediately jumps to intercede indicates this was his habit. This was his habit. We don't all of a sudden think to pray if that's not been our habit all along, day by day, hour by hour. We don't think to praise the Lord if if that's not our habit. Amos comes in his prayer. He comes with boldness and directness, but also reverence. He says, oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, forgive. For God to forgive, he's asking that God's just and holy wrath for their sins would be put upon Christ. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, God. Oh, Jehovah, God, forgive. I pray that word. I pray there is is a very simple word that means please or now please or now but in this case means please oh Lord please forgive he's asking with reverence he's not demanding it but he's also not a fearful to ask for it and so he asks very he comes boldly to the throne of grace And he argues at the throne of grace on. On the weakness of God's people. Oh, Lord, forgive, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand for he is small. That's that's his reason. First of all, note that he brings a reason. He, he brings arguments, and this is something that we should learn to do. We, we need to learn to bring arguments to the Lord. Arguments that are according to his word, arguments from his promises, arguments from his attributes. And also, as we see here, arguments from our own weakness and our own frailty and our own inabilities. See, God is our father. And he has the thoughts of a father for his children. And what father, what father among us seeing his child in a difficult strait, seeing his child overpowered or seeing his child powerless to do something, seeing his child struggling and caught in, in a way that he can't get out? What, what father isn't moved to act on behalf of his child who is weak and unable? Isaiah ascribes to the Lord, he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He he increases strength. Amos comes to the Lord on the basis of this promise that the Lord gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. And he says, oh, Lord, that Jacob may stand for he's small. He's weak. Notice also he repeats his prayer. He prays with fervency here, and he uses almost the same words. O oh Lord, forgive, I pray. O oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. That's one characteristic of effectual prayer is that it is fervent and it is persistent. And Jesus' prayer in the garden was much the same. He repeated three times much the same words. And and uh, we ought not to think that because God has been merciful to us in the past, because he's forgiven us in the past for this same sin that we should. Doubt that he will forgive us again, but rather it should be just the opposite. That Because he has shown mercy in the past, because he's forgiven us in the past, that he will also forgive us now. Sometimes we think that when we've gone wrong, when we've sinned, when we've erred, we've gone astray. We think, oh, I've already I already did this yesterday. How can I pray to the Lord and ask his mercy, his forgiveness for the exact same sin? But see, God is, multiplies his mercy. And the fact that God has forgiven us and is a God of mercy ought to be rather an encouragement, an inducement to us to, to come again and ask the Lord for more mercy. It ought to give us hope and encourage us to pray. It is the glory of God that he the Delights. In mercy. That he multiplies. Pardons. That he spares and that he forgives. Seventy times seven. And so Amos prays with. um, With fervency. And he's not. Afraid to pray again. And again. The same words. O oh, oh Lord, forgive. <clears throat> and what happens? What happens when Amos prays these prayers? The Lord relents and extends mercy. The Lord is a merciful God. He multiplies his mercies. This is how the Lord reveals himself. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with stood with him there. That's with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. The Lord, merciful and gracious, long suffering, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's how the Lord declares Himself to be. And Jeremiah says in, in Jeremiah the Lord tells him, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return backsliding Israel, I will not cause My anger to fall on you, for I am merciful. I will not retain my angry forever. So rend your hearts, Joel says, and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents. He relents, Joel says, from doing harm. This is the multiplied mercies of the Lord. Mercies upon mercies. You see, prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. James tells us that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It means it has a great effect. That means it changes things. What happens when we pray is different from what would have happened if the prayer had not been made. James says one reason we don't have is because we haven't asked or or because we ask amiss now some because of this some speak about the power of prayer well there's no power in our mere words the power is in the lord to whom we pray And prayer is the means by which God's power is exercised on behalf of his people. Prayer is the means by which God works. The power is in God. It's not in our words. We can't say peace be still and have the uh, have the ocean be still. Now, not to say our our words aren't significant. They are very significant. What we say is very, very significant. But the power is in God. You see, prayer itself is an admission that we don't have any power. If we had the power to get what we need, then we wouldn't have to pray. And that's why prayerlessness is often a sign of pride. We don't think we need to pray because we think that we can do some things. Maybe we can't do everything. Maybe we can't do big things, but we think we can do something. Without God. Of course. Of course that would. That's not true. Is it? Jesus said you can do nothing. Without me. Nothing. Now. We say that. Prayer changes things. Let me be clear. Prayer does not change. What God has ordained to pass. Prayer does not change. What God has ordained. To bring to pass. From before the foundation. Of the world. God is not a God. That he should Repent. What he's decreed will come to pass. There is no variation or shadow of turning with God. So what does it mean then that says God relented? And he did not bring to pass. He said it shall not be. Well, it means you see that God has ordained the prayers of his people. Even as he has ordained everything else that comes to pass. God has ordained the prayers of His people even as He has ordained everything else that comes to pass. And He has ordained through these prayers to bring mercy. The Lord relented. The Lord relented and said, It shall not be. What would have come to pass now won't come to pass because Amos had interceded before the Lord. And the Lord is merciful. But God does not. God's mercy does not last forever. There's a third vision. Then he showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line. With a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And Amos said, I see a plumb line. God said, "I am setting a plumb line in the midst of Israel." Now, what's a plumb line? Probably all know if you've done any uh, carpentry or construction. A plumb line is is a mass that hangs on the bottom of a string, and it always uh, points toward the center of the earth, no matter where you are, no matter what angle you are. If you hang it on a string, it will always point down to the center of the earth unless you're in a centrifuge but assuming you're still it's going to point down to the center of the earth and so it no matter where you are in the earth it will always tell you what is what is a straight vertical line meaning pointing upward from the center of the earth it'll always give you that straight line so it's a it's a something that you can measure by you can measure a a wall to see if it is a straight wall. Use a plumb line. Maybe you've seen a mason building a brick wall and he'll have a plumb line at the end as he's lining up every course of brick on the plumb line so that the wall is straight. And so the Lord is saying, I am going to set a plumb line in the middle of my people, Israel. They're his people, but he's coming with a plumb line. He's going to Compare what they are doing with his word. And he's not going to pass by them anymore. There comes a time. There comes a day. When God's mercy ends. There comes a day. When God is no longer merciful. When he no longer withholds. What is justly due. To those who have sinned. And God says the high places of Israel shall be desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. The day of mercy would come to an end. Today. Is the day of mercy. Today we can call upon the Lord. And he will answer in mercy. Mercy. But there is coming a day when that ends. That day ends differently for everybody. But the day it, it is appointed unto everyone to die. And after this, the judgment. After this, the measuring with the plumb line. And there is no more mercy for all those in that day who have not repented. Who have not called upon the Lord and asked for His mercy and for His grace to be poured upon them. This judgment came upon Israel in the not too distant future," said that he would bring us rise with a sword against the house of Jeroboam, and in Jeroboam's um, in Jeroboam's uh, descendants, Zechariah. In the 38th year of Azariah, the son of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned six months. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he didn't didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam. And then Shalom conspired against him and struck him and killed him in the front of the people. This judgment came upon the house of Jeroboam. It came in time. And God's judgment upon all those who do not obey the gospel is coming just as certainly as Zechariah was killed by the sword by the decree of God. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who hope in His mercy. Psalm 147, 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. In those who hope in his mercy. In those who call upon him as Amos did. In those who ask the Lord to forgive them. And to be merciful to them. And to withhold the wrath that is justly due upon us for our sins. The Lord takes pleasure in those who hope in that mercy. So that we can say. When I cry out to you my enemies turn back. This I know because God is for me. The Lord takes pleasure in his people and he beautifies the humble with salvation. The Lord, Zephaniah says, the Lord, your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who multiplies mercy upon mercy, who delights when we call upon him and ask him for his mercy, who delights When we humble ourselves before him. We acknowledge our sins. We acknowledge that we have done wickedly. And we ask for his mercy. And he delights to give it. He delights in that. He desires. That we do that. He commands that we do that. He commands all men everywhere. To repent and to to call upon Him for His mercy. May the Lord have mercy on us. Heavenly Father, oh, how we praise You that You are the God of mercy, that You you, uh, do not retain Your anger forever because You delight in mercy. We thank you, Father, for the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, that he now intercedes for us at your throne of grace, that his wounds make constant intercession, that he has borne your wrath for us, and that you, in your grace, show us mercy. Lord, we ask your forgiveness where we have despised your forbearance and your long-suffering with us. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us where we have taken advantage of your goodness. And may may you, uh, Lord, bring to our minds the certainty of your wrath, the reality of it that we may call upon You for Your mercy. Lord, You are are just and You are righteous. You are good. You are true. Your Word is true. Every word of it. And we ask, Lord, that, that You would impress Your Word upon us, that we might not be insensitive to it. That we may not be as those who are asleep. But Lord, wake us. And and give to us that urgency. Of calling upon you. For your mercy. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen.